controlled by the Barrio Azteca, which works for the Juarez Cartel. Another controlled by their sworn enemies, the artist assassins, who murder for the Sinaloa Cartel. The 300 Christians try to live outside this war. Baptized Libre on Cristo, or Free Through Christ, the sect founded in the prison borrows some of the radical and rowdy elements of Southern American evangelicalism to save these souls. I visit a jail block mass before I sit down with Gonzalo. The pastor, a convicted drug trafficker, mixes stories of ancient Jerusalem with his hardcore street experiences, using slang and addressing the flock as the homies from the barrio. A live band blends rock, rap, and Norteño music into their hymns. The sinners let it all out, slam-dancing wildly to the chorus, praying with eyes closed tight, teeth gritted, sweats pouring from foreheads, hands raised to the heavens, using all their spiritual power to exorcise their heinous demons. Gonzalo has more demons than most. He was incarcerated in the prison a year before I met him, and bought his way into the Christian wing, hoping it would be a quiet place where he could escape the war. But when I listen carefully to his interview, he sounds as if he has really given his heart to Christ, does really pray for redemption. And when he talks to me, a nosy British journalist prying into his past, he is really confessing to Jesus. You meet Christ, and it is a totally different thing. You feel horror and start thinking about the things you have done, because it was bad. You think about the people. It could have been a brother of mine I was doing these things to. I did bad things to a lot of people. A lot of parents suffered. When you belong to organized crime, you have to change. You could be the best person in the world, but the people you live with change you completely. You become somebody else and then the drugs and liquor change you. I have watched too many videos of the pain caused by killers like Gonzalo. I have seen a sobbing teenager tortured on a tape sent to his family, a bloodied old man confessing that he had talked to a rival cartel, a line of kneeling victims with bags over their heads being shot in the brain one by one. Does someone who has committed such crimes deserve redemption? Do they deserve a place in heaven? Yet I see a human side to Gonzalo. He is friendly and well-mannered. We chat about lighter issues. Perhaps in another time and place he could have been a stand-up guy who worked hard and cared for his family. Like his father who, he says, was a lifelong electrician and union man. I have known angry, violent men in my home country. Hooligans who smash bottles into people's faces or stab people at soccer games. On the surface, those men seem more hateful and intimidating than Gonzalo as he talks to me in the prison cell. Yet they have killed nobody. Gonzalo has helped turn Mexico at the dawn of the 21st century into a bloodbath that has shocked the world. In his 17 years in the service of the Mafia, Gonzalo witnessed extraordinary changes in the Mexican drug industry. He began his career in Durango, the mountainous northern Mexican state that is the proud birthplace of Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa. 
It is also near the heartland of smugglers who have taken drugs to America since Washington first made them illegal. After dropping out of high school and abandoning his hopes of becoming an NFL quarterback, Gonzalo did what many young tough nuts in his town did. He joined the police force. Here he learned the highly marketable skills of kidnapping and torture. The path from policeman to villain is alarmingly common in Mexico. Major drug lords, such as the 1980s boss of bosses, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, began as officers of the law, as did notorious kidnapper Daniel Arizmendi, alias the Ear Lopper. Like them, Gonzalo left the police after a reasonably short stint, deserting when he was 20 years old to pursue a full-time criminal career. He arrived in Ciudad Juarez and did dirty work for an empire of traffickers who smuggled...